When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jones and Dan Snyder with the Redskins wanted uh, Goodell fired. This is like the November the 31st or something. It was the day before, like uh, the 1st of November, end of October. They called me and said, you need to take this guy out. You're the number one sponsor of the, the league as far as notoriety and uh, acceptance and association. Uh, everybody loves you. They love Peyton. We hate Goodell. He, Snyder says he sits on 57th Street, 57th Street all day long and drinks Chardonnay. He's a drunk, and yet we pay him 50 million a year. Snyder and Jones hate Goodell. I said, no, this is not my job to fire your commissioner. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. If that didn't give you a little taste of how hot this show's going to be today, Papa John bringing the fire. You do not want to miss my interview with Papa John. It's about 30 minutes in length, and he did not hold back. Uh, Happy Tuesday. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, It's the day after Monday, the day before hump day. Uh, We have a great show, as you can tell by that little tease of Papa John. Uh, But uh, Steve Kim's going to be here. Uh, Delano Squires will be here. Uncle Jimmy will be here. awesome show uh i'm not gonna i've already given you a little taste of papa john so i'm gonna get right in uh to today's show so we can get to papa john even quicker (laughs) not that you want to miss uh what i'm about to do here uh and what i'm gonna have a conversation with steve kim about colin kaepernick i don't know if you guys uh saw it but cap sat down for seven, eight-minute interview with the guys from I Am Athlete, Brandon Marshall, Chad Johnson, and I believe Pac-Man Jones was the third guy in the ring this time. They went down to Florida where Kaepernick's working out, and it looked like Cap did a little workout, and then they went into the stands and taped a seven-minute softball interview with Cap. And, and I don't say that in any way to disparage uh, Brandon Marshall, Chad Johnson, or Pac-Man Jones, they're athletes, they're not journalists. Uh, they, they provide other athletes a platform to say what, what they think. They're not there to challenge. They're not uh, 1980, 60 minutes or anything. Uh, they're former athletes. They like to get in a group and, and chop it up. And that's what they did with Kaepernick for seven minutes. And everyone's talking about, oh, Cap's willing to be a backup quarterback. Oh, my God, Kaepernick's willing to be a backup quarterback. The NFL has no excuse. He's exposing the NFL. I think we have a clip uh, or two. or it, Play the clips of Kaepernick uh, talking to these guys, and then I'll have some reaction. When the opportunity presents itself, 
I'm not a scout, but I don't need to be a scout because I know what it should look like. <laughs> I know what it should look like based on what I saw the past two days. But being able to see for myself in flesh gives me a better understanding. Ain't no way in hell he ain't signed nowhere because ain't nothing like that. Their tears, again, right, right. that's yeah, not yeah. signed. Remember Carmelo Anthony NBA. Can Carmelo Anthony go from being Carmelo Anthony and being coming off the bench? Can he take league minimum? Right? Are you willing to be, do what Carmelo Anthony did if an opportunity presented itself today and they said, we want to bring you in as the backup? Would you take that? Yeah. You'll take that. If an opportunity. I, I know I have to find my way back in. Okay. So, yeah, if I have to come in as a backup, that's fine. But that's not where I'm, that's not where I'm staying. And when I prove that I'm a starter, I want to be able to step on the field as such. I just need that opportunity right. to walk through the door. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, to your point, what you saw out here, that's five years of training behind the scenes to make sure I'm ready and stay ready at the highest level. You don't do that if you don't, if you don't have a passion and you don't believe you're gonna find, find a way on that field. I love your personality right now. Like, why you been keeping so low key, bro? Like, we, this is what the people need to see, bro. In part, it was a response to, to the situation I was in. You know, the, the narrative was out, that was out there was, oh, you know, it's going to be a media circus. It's going to be all of that. What else comes with him? It's like, okay, well, I'll be quiet. I'll do all my work behind the scenes. I'll be prepared. And we're going to continue to reach out to every team for a workout. But as far as what's been done publicly, you said it. I don't really do interviews. <laughs> I haven't sat down like this with anybody. Why I've been low key is to address the issue that's been raised. And it's like, well, okay, that obviously isn't the issue, so we'll make it public that I can play and build that, build that narrative that way. More than anything, we're just looking for a chance to walk through a door. I'll handle the rest from there. So <clears throat> let's, let's start at the very beginning. And again, this isn't criticism of the athletes doing the conversation. I hate to call it an interview. It's more of a conversation, guys chopping it up. Uh, but Brandon Marshall compared Colin Kaepernick to Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony is a first ballot NBA Hall of Fame player. Probably, let me go check. I don't, I don't even have to, we don't have to speculate. I'm a, we're going to find out how many All-Star games Carmelo Anthony played in. Uh, and, and before I get to how many Carmelo played in, uh, Colin Kaepernick never played in a Pro Bowl, never made a Pro Bowl team. Uh, Carmelo, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 12 NBA All-Star games. Uh, led the league in scoring in... 2013, uh, career average of 22.5, uh, won an NCAA championship or played for one. Did they win? They won. Yeah. 2000. Did they beat Kansas? Because I remember Kansas was probably in that Final Four because I remember being there. Uh, yeah. And so Carmelo Anthony, and I'm not a huge Carmelo Anthony guy, but that's an NBA legend. That, that's a guy, let's go, let me go check because all this information is so readily available. He probably 
you know, let's see, MB, MVP shares. He finished third in MVP voting in 2012 and 2013, the year he led the league in scoring. Uh, three, four years before that, he finished sixth in MVP voting. You think Colin Kaepernick was ever in the top 30 in MVP voting in the, in the National Football League? Colin Kaepernick was an NFL quarterback who showed flashes of great potential and had a good run and quarterbacked the team to the Super Bowl. But he was never elite. And so, man, you think you can do what Carmelo Anthony did? What, put together a Hall of Fame career, miss half a season or maybe a full season, and then get back in the league and be a contributor off the bench? That's not Colin Kaepernick. His teams stunk in 2016. He's a one-dimensional quarterback who has sat out for five straight years. Carmelo Anthony didn't sit out for five straight years. And so if Kaepernick is serious, about getting back into the NFL. He's not looking for someone to hey, bring me in as a backup. When you sit for five years and you've had his career, your cutback trail starts in the USFL, the Canadian Football League. It's not about, oh, he's willing to be a backup quarterback. No, he has to show he's willing to play football. Everybody wants to play in the NFL. There's two camera guys sitting right here that I don't think Corey played football in high school. Christian, I, I, I'm not sure if you played football in high school. He did not. Uh, I think y'all would like to play in the NFL. But what are you willing to do to make it happen? Not much. Running this camera won't get you there. Sitting around chopping it up with Pac-Man Jones, Brandon Marshall, and Chad Johnson, and going through seven-on-seven seven drills won't get you there. What people don't believe, yes, he wants to play in the NFL. Everybody does. Does he want to play football? That's the difference. Colin Kaepernick is entitled. It's his sense of entitlement that has kept him out of the NFL the last five years. In 2017, had he been willing to sit down and talk to anybody and say, hey, I'm willing to be a backup and I'm willing to take a backup salary and I just want to compete? He would have been in the NFL in 2017, but he was entitled then. And so in his sense of entitlement, he wanted to be a starter and he wanted a major contract. That's what kept Colin Kaepernick out of the league in 2017. It wasn't racist NFL owners. It wasn't owners, oh my God, he kneels and we just can't handle it. The guy is entitled and delusional.
That's why he's not in the NFL. And he's still entitled and delusional. And if any of those guys were, were skilled interviewers, they would have asked him, hey, man, I hear you want to play in the NFL. But do you want to play football? There are guys that we just watched Saturday and Sunday play in the USFL. They want to play football. They want the opportunity to play in the NFL. Colin Kaepernick not playing in that USFL, never going to Canada and playing. Warren Moon wanted to play football. He deserved to be in the NFL. He went to Canada for five years and then came to the NFL and put together a Hall of Fame career. That man wanted to play football. That's what separates the true competitors from guys that just want the check and the notoriety and the fame. That's what Colin Kaepernick has always been about. And I used to be a Kaepernick fan early on. I thought the guy was going to be the next John Elway. I thought he was about that life. He's not. He's not today. This. He's weak. He, that was a, what you would call a seven on seven interview. He was interviewing against air. There was no resistance. There's resistance in the NFL. If Colin Kaepernick was man enough to be an NFL quarterback, he would be man enough to sit down with somebody who would actually interview him appropriately, not disrespectfully, appropriately. There would be some resistance, some follow-up questions, some cut through the BS questions. Hey man, if you want to play, Terrell Owens at 40 whatever is playing in some fan football league. He wants to play football. Kaepernick wants to play seven on seven against air and then have pro athletes and other. Oh, look how good Cap looks against air. everybody looks good in shorts and a T-shirt. Kaepernick wants to go to Michigan spring practice or spring game and watch a bunch of kids play football. While he tosses the football against air and no resistance and has Jim Harbaugh. Kaepernick is the special needs kid that they run out at spring games and let them score a touchdown. That's who Colin Kaepernick is. That's what Brandon Marshall, Chad John, they just hosted an interview for a special needs kid. And they oh, look how cute that was. Look at what Kaepernick said. He's willing to be a backup. Let's all run. And now the NFL's racist because Kaepernick's willing to accept two or three million dollars to be a backup quarterback in the NFL. That's entitlement. And, and everything about Kaepernick and the generation and, and the people that love him, their mindset is entitled. If you can't see through Kaepernick's BS, it's because you have a mindset 
of entitlement. America owes me something. I'm black and my ancestors were oppressed. And someone at the grocery store cut in front of me and didn't say, excuse me, I'm owed something. Do you know how hard it is to be black in America when white people don't love you? That's entitlement. The world doesn't owe you anything. I, I get, it cracks me up, all the rappers and everybody who's hip hop. Do y'all even listen to hip hop? Do the people that make hip hop even know what's coming out of their mouth? Because it ain't about what the world owes you. It's about what you're willing to go get and take. Colin Kaepernick is not willing to go get and go take anything as it relates to football. He feels he's owed something. He's soft. He's been feminized. He's been sitting up under Nessa's breast for too long. He's henpicked. He's weak. He's a house husband. And these people that are sitting there hosting and Brandon Marshall, love you. Chad Johnson, you know, me and him had be, I love the guy. Pac-Man Jones, glad you somewhat got your life together. Wish you well. But quit holding these little soft, feminine conversations. Man up. Because I know for sure Chad Johnson loved football, loved competing, and would do anything to get in the NFL back in his playing days. And if they didn't want him in the NFL, Chad Johnson would go over to the USFL, put a show on, and said, y'all better come get some of this. But that's not the energy Kaepernick has with his little uh, Betty Rubble bun hairstyle. These people are soft and running around like they hard because they're willing to tweet out something when, when a black criminal suspect gets killed. Oh my God, look how courageous Cap is. Look at that tweet. Ain't a damn thing manly about the way he's handled his NFL career. Steve, uh, Kim, uh, sorry to keep you waiting, but I had to get that <laughs> off my chest. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm just going to turn, I don't even have a question. I'm just going to turn yeah. the mic over to you. Do you have anything you'd like to say about Colin Kaepernick? Well, step back, clear the lane. Uh, I mean, to call that a softball interview would be an insult to Jenny Finch because that was slow-pitch softball. <laughs> and I, I don't expect these guys to be Mike Wallace. But there obviously had to be an unsaid or unspoken agreement that, hey, no tough questions. Let's stay away from this. Let's stay away from that. We're going to make it very positive. And look, when you're a content creator like those guys are, and they have a successful YouTube channel that's growing, doing a very nice job, 
in really nurturing that franchise. Even if you get Colin Kaepernick for just five to ten minutes, you're going to get a lot of hits. So that comes with an agreement of access against actual journalism. And like you said, they're not journalists. But Jason, here's the one question I think had to be asked if you wanted any credibility to this process. One of those guys had to step up and say, uh, Colin, several months ago, you did a very, very large production, I believe on Netflix, that equated what we did to being slaves and being on a plantation. How do you reconcile that project and your statements to your actions now? Once that was never broached, I can't take this seriously. This just basically became the male version of The View. That's all it was. And so that's the other part. And so let's go back to that. Let me pontificate a little bit. And since we are fearless, I'm going to use Cap's own analogy and, and make some analogies of my own. For a guy to say that the NFL is a slavery slash plantation system and then to go back, want to go back on it, that's like a guy like me escaping from Pyongyang, making his way to Seoul, then after a couple of years saying, let's give this northern part another try here. Or that's like a Jewish person saying in the 1940s, let's see what Auschwitz, how's that now? Is that any better for us than it was a couple of years ago? That, that's where he completely loses me. And right now, Kaepernick reminds me of that guy that's lived so well and so long, has gotten used to unemployment. He'll send in a few job applications saying, wink, wink, uh, yeah, we're good here, because he wants to continue the ruse. That, and I told you this uh, several months ago, Jason. He needs to do this every once in a while to give the impression and to drive the narrative this guy's being blackballed and they're not letting him in because obviously something has changed recently where now he has to do stuff like this. And you're right, Jason. I, I'll analogize this to boxing. I've seen a lot of older fighters who are at the very, very tail end, even guys that shouldn't fight anymore, that have been suspended after taking multiple knockouts. These guys at the late 30s, early 40s, they look unbelievable. They actually look really good shadow boxing, working the mitts hitting the heavy bag. Some of them even look good sparring. But when you take away that headgear and you start putting eight to 10 ounce gloves, you wince. There's something about live competition. And lastly, I'll wrap it up with Chad Johnson. Chad, Chad, did you actually say that Kaepernick's arm is right up there with the Favs and the Aaron Rodgers and you're talking about tears? Just Strictly football. One of the issues that I had with Colin Kaepernick, which was very evident after the first 20 games, every single one of his passes is a line drive brick. He had no touch. He had no feel. And guys, that's part of the reason why they don't want to deal with this guy with the hassle he brings. Look, here's what happened to Colin Kaepernick. And, and I actually do think he wants to play in the NFL. Hmm. He doesn't want to play football. He wants to play in the NFL. What happened is, and you can look at, we, we talked about it last week, Patrick Lyoya, the guy in Grand Rapids that got killed. BLM is dead. Everybody, uh, Patrice Cullors, the founders, all bought their mansions. 
they, they've spent up all the money. There's no more donations flowing in. The, 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 when, when black criminal suspects get killed, it's hard to re only Ben Crump cares and still chasing the paycheck. That whole thing, black lives, it's over. And so Kaepernick knows it's over. And so he's, well, hold on, man. How am I going to keep the money flowing in? Where's the momentum coming from? And literally what he's looking at, because Nessa never told him this, and all the people that were in his ear, the white lawyers and the liberals and all the people over Twitter never told him, hey, look, man, do you see where the, where the quarterback salaries are going? And, and you took a little $10 million, $5 million settlement from the NFL do you know Dak Prescott's going to make $40 million this year? <laughs> uh, Derek Carr's slated to make $40 million. That, that, that uh, Deshaun Watson got 22 cases hanging over his head, and he's going to make $50 million a year. Kaepernick is sitting at home looking at Nessa's hips get wider and wider and wider, <laughs> and, and the breasts start to sag and sag and sag and saying, this is the deal I took? I got a little money in the bank, and Nessa, and these other guys are making 30, 40, and $50 million a year? Even if I were a, a lower tier guy making 20, or 15, or seven, that would be better than sitting at home waiting on Nike to build another Black Lives Matter commercial around me when the Black Lives Matter thing is dead. And so he does want back in the NFL. He doesn't know what he needs to do to get there because the people around, you're entitled. They owe you this. You were blackballed. You, you should have been a starter in 2017. No one, he doesn't have anybody in his circle willing to be honest with him and w willing not to bring that victim left-wing mindset to him that, hey, these guys owe you something. And then he has idiots like Pete Carroll who, get, who are afraid to death of him. And so the, Pete Carroll knows the truth, but he'll never tell Colin Kaepernick the truth because he's scared of Cap and thinks, oh, if I tell him the truth, he may go repeat it and make me to look like a racist. But, but one of these coaches, somebody should tell this clown Hey, man, did you see what Cam Newton did in New England? That took, that diminished you. If Cam Newton is toast at this point, you're toast. And unless you go to the USFL or the Canadian Football League and put on tape that you actually really want to play football, not play in the NFL, play football, no one's going to take you seriously. Jason, I don't disagree with that, but here's where I will push back. If he actually plays, there goes his martyrdom. It's over. And you can no longer say that he gave up his career for the cause, and I've never agreed with that. Um, when people said, he gave up his career for the cause, no, 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 no. He took up the cause when he got benched by Blaine Gabbard. Okay, we can argue all day about the chicken and the egg or the egg or the chicken, in my view, and I could be wrong, but I'm going to state my opinion. If he was playing at the level of Aaron Rodgers, not only would he have never really pouted so publicly, which basically what he did, even if he did so, and he would have taken that stance with the knee. There have been other players that have taken the knees 
They were better players. They were actually worth the hassle. The National Football League has proven time and time again, and we brought up Greg Hardy, who committed some terrible crimes, but because he had the ability at one point to really come off the edge and create sacks, there was a demand for his talent. And so I, I, this is the funniest thing about Pete Carroll. Hey, here's Pete, the thing, though, Steve. Here's the thing I think you may be looking, uh, overlooking is, trust me, the martyr thing is important as long as it generates revenue. Yes. The martyr thing now doesn't generate revenue for him. And again, what he's going, everyone, oh, you're going to be Muhammad Ali. No, you're not. People aren't going to come out to see you and get your autographs and be able to demand a lot of money like uh, uh, Muhammad Ali was. The best path for Cap is if he gets to do what Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has been doing the last five to seven years. He's a mouthpiece for the establishment. They cut him a little small check and he gets to uh, keep his weed man happy and, and whatever else his little uh, habits, vices he has. Uh, but th that's the best path for, for Cap with the martyr deal. He, he, again, he's not an all-time great. We love Muhammad Ali far more because when he got in that boxing ring, he's the best, the greatest we ever saw. That's never been true for Cap. And so w w the martyrdom thing played well for a while. It just doesn't pay as well right now, and, and it's never going to pay all that well. He'll make a small amount of money. He'll put out little uh, terrible documentaries, Colin in black and white, where he can paint himself. But, but even those things aren't creating the kind of revenue he's sitting over like, man, Dak Prescott, 40-some-odd <laughs> mil. It just, and he's, he's, he's got, he's green with envy. He's got remorse about the path that he chose. Uh, uh, you know, Nessa better be careful because when this dude finally wakes up, and he's starting to wake up, but when he finally wakes up, he's going to be real mad at her. No, and the other issue is, uh, Pete, last I checked, you had a pretty good quarterback. Now you don't. He's in Denver. You have a gaping hole at that position for all the virtue signaling you did. All right, sign him to a big deal. Let him compete with Drew Locke. And if he doesn't beat out Drew Locke, let's see how willing he is to be a backup. And you're right, there is a sense of entitlement that has always existed with Colin Kaepernick, and he's never truly understood this, nor have his supporters. If you are going to be an activist at its highest level, you have to be willing to take the penalty. For Muhammad Ali, it was three years out of his prime. For many other activists in many forms of life that are more serious than sports, it's meant their life. Colin Kaepernick, this narrative that he never got another shot or contract opportunity, simply not true. There were other teams willing to sign him right after this happened. I believe the Denver Broncos actually expressed interest. Three years ago, he had that scheduled workout in Atlanta, and he decides to have his own workout. And at that point, I think a lot of people said this cannot be taken seriously. The other point you brought out, Jason, on my flight back home from Miami to L.A., I was able to watch some of the USFL game. And a very good show that I'm going to watch every single episode of is on FS1 called United by Football, which is kind of like an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look at what's going on in the league. 
And all of these guys are fighting for a roster position. They're trying to extend their dream. Some of them just want to play football for a couple more years before moving on to the real life. But there's an appreciation for as difficult as it is and with the odds that they face, and most of them have never made any money, they just want a ball. And you know what, Jason? As you say, they are. They're just playing ball. And I have a great appreciation for every single one of them men, and I actually wish them all well. Steve, got to let you go. Got to keep it moving. Got to get to Papa John. But before I do that, uh, I want to tell you guys about crowd health. Your health is being bought and sold to the highest bidder. Politicians, hospitals, big pharma, and the health insurance companies make huge profits at the expense of your health. That is why you need to see our friends over at Crowd Health. Crowd Health's technology puts your health care decisions back in your hands, saving you money and cutting out the middlemen. It's not insurance, it's what insurance should be. Crowd Health is putting the community back in community health care. Pay one low monthly total to fund your account. That's less than 200 a month for most people. 100% of your monthly contribution directly funds and reduces the health care cost of the community. Unlike insurance, you're not limited by doctor networks. Stop paying health insurance companies your hard-earned dollars. Go to join, joincrowdhealth.com right now and experience freedom from health insurance. Right now, you can get your first six months for $99 per month. That's almost 50% off the normal price and a lot less than a high-deductible health care plan. Just go to joincrowdhealth.com and use the promo code FEARLESS at sign up. That's joincrowdhealth.com, promo code FEARLESS, mandatory disclaimer, Crowd Health is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for health care. Terms and conditions may apply. All right, stick around. Papa John from Papa John's Pizza Ball State grad, friend of mine, John Schnatter. Next. All right, welcome back. Time to, uh, we're going to roll off to Louisville, Kentucky and bring in uh, Ball State's greatest alum. I wonder, you know, I guess Dave Letterman's in contention uh, for that as well, uh, but I don't know Dave Letterman. Dave Letterman's from Indianapolis. Uh, I like Dave Letterman, but I don't know him. I do know this Ball State alum, uh, John Schneider, uh, the founder of Papa John's Pizza, a uh, dear friend of mine. Uh, uh, I wanted to bring Papa John on to talk about Elon Musk and Twitter and the poison pill that uh, the Twitter board is trying to use to stop uh, Elon Musk from t uh, taking over Twitter. No one uh, has more expertise at this level of high stakes economic takeovers uh, than Papa John. Uh, Papa John, uh, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I'm honored to have you. Uh, and, and so we'll talk a little Elon Musk. We may end up talking a little Papa John and just because you've been through what, to some degree, what Elon Musk is going through in terms of a board using a poison pill uh, to try to thwart your efforts to gain back control of Papa John's pizza. And so I just wanted to get, you know, have a conversation with you about your take on what's going on with Elon Musk and Twitter. 
Well, you're right. We did have a poison pill at Papa John's, and they did use that for me getting back in and reestablishing, uh, you know, uh, my majority ship and um, my influence on making decisions at uh, the corporate level. <clears throat> uh, the, Jason, there's one huge distinction um, with, uh, or maybe two. Uh, we had a Wolfpack provision at Papa John's, which was uh, disadvantageous to myself. Uh, what a Wolfpack provision means is if um, uh, Elon, in this case, would have 15%, he couldn't talk to other investors or corroborate uh, or collaborate to get control of the company. Um, in my case, a Wolfpack prevented me from talking to other shareholders. So the Elon's, Elon's got a much easier hurdle than I do because all he's got to do is find one or two of his buddies or a couple of the PE firms or investment firms um, to raise another you know, 12 to $22 uh, billion, and then together they can control uh, Twitter. Um, that in itself is a problem for the board of directors for Twitter. The other issue is <clears throat> stocks at 48, uh, his offer was 54 or some 11% higher. If he pulls out, that stock's probably going to crash. And Glass-Lewis is kind of the authority here that oversights corporate governance. And they had what they call, a, um, I think it's an OC or OS, but anyway, it's, it's a terminology that basically says that the provisions to keep uh, Elon from buying more than 15% are negative towards good corporate governance. And so this board has got a valuation problem because if that stock goes from 48 down to 24 and Elon's offer was 54, uh, they have personal liability, and we'll come back to that in a second, they are on the fringe and tickling the tail of the dragon on the corporate governance issue. And if they try to block him from talking to other um, shareholders, <clears throat> potentially to get control of that company, uh, I think they have some liability there too. Now, <clears throat> back to the ranch with regards to the fiduciary duty. It's amazing in this day and age what a board of director can do. A board of director can actually come in on a stretcher, on an IV, on a heart pump, and as long as that board of director is, you know, there and exercises two duties, duty of care and duty of loyalty, it doesn't matter their capacitation. It just doesn't, which is crazy. That's Delaware law. So you, you're a board of director. You can be sloppy. I think uh, if you look at the amount of Fortune 500 companies that have been destroyed uh, the last 20 years, it's probably almost 70 or 80 percent. It's a it's an unbelievably high number because most boards are incompetent. They don't understand the business and they get away from the founders' visions and the fundamentals, and they usually hurt companies in the long run. A a, a Okay, board can't hurt a great company, but a bad board can destroy a company. <clears throat> so in this case, uh, the directors at Twitter have these two obligations. Uh, duty of care is you have to contemplate, you have to think about things. And so if you make knee-jerk decisions and you rush to judgment, <clears throat> you've got yourself in a personally liable, uh, liable situation. They can't lock you in jail, but they can take your house if you violate these two covenants, duty of care, duty of loyalty. Duty of loyalty is you always have to put the shareholder's interest <clears throat> in front of your interest. And therein lies a lot of exposure for the Twitter board because, again, if this stock goes from 54 down to 28, 27 and half, 
then they're going to be personally held liable for that difference. And so uh, I think the board of directors for Twitter is in a very precarious position because Musk is probably going to add value to this, at least from a perceptional perspective. Um, he's going to he's going to find ways to innovate and create and, and and build Twitter and make the value probably go up. That's a, a good potential, a likely potential. And for them to block that and have the stock go the other way, uh, it, it just gives them a lot of exposure. I know this question doesn't particularly pertain to Elon Musk, but listening to you describe these board of directors, it, it, it makes me wonder why do guys like you that found a company why do you take them public and then expose yourself to a board of directors that you really don't have any control over um the politics of the boardroom are much more important than the fundamentals of the business and so to your point, you have to have what they call director independence. The directors have to be independent. So you, you have to try to have an arm's length of relationship with your board. Otherwise, there's corporate governance issues there. The reason I like being public is because the access to capital. <clears throat> um, and also you can give your employees share, uh, you know, options, give them shares. And I like when the stock goes, in our case, we took it in 09 from $6 a share to 16 to $89 a share. The employees benefited along the way, and we created tremendous worth uh, for thousands of individuals, not only investors, not only suppliers, not only our community, but most importantly to me, because the heartbeat of Papa John's is, the, is our employees, our people. I like them getting that benefit. It's ironic you would ask that question because I've got a real smart tomato packer out in California that when I was stepping down informally in 16 and formally in 17 at Papa John's, he said, you really should take that company private, John. There's no reason for you to be public anymore. And I thought about that long and hard. And looking back, we had the capital, we had the cash flow, uh, we had the model. We did not need to be public and if we weren't public, uh, all this nonsense that happened to me uh, wouldn't have happened. Uh, wouldn't have happened at all if we weren't public. Look at Twitter. The board of directors own combined 0.3 percent. 0.3. Musk owns 15 percent, and they're blocking it, blocking him out. Now, who has the best interest long term for Twitter? A guy that owns 15 percent, some 12, 13 billion or folks that own all combined collectively own 0.3? And the answer is obvious. You know, Elon's putting his money where his mouth is. I do think Jack Dorsey's still on the board, and he may own 2% of Twitter stock, but I think you're right about the other 10 members. They own virtually nothing, uh, probably as many shares as you and I maybe own of Twitter combined. and, and so I, I, I certainly get, but but you made the I, argument. I would check, that's another check that, in Elon's corner where Dorsey and Elon are probably <laughs> closer than Dorsey than the other board members. So that's another uh, advantage for Elon. And I want to stick on that line of thought. You said it'll be easier for Elon than the situation you found yourself in. So I think you believe Elon will prevail here over this board? Well, let me argue against myself. We'll, we'll flip that coin and turn it on the other side. Um, 
I think Elon will prevail. Elon's a winner, and he's a scrapper, and he's smart. Um, and it's the right thing for Twitter, and it's the right thing for America. That's painfully obvious, and we'll talk about uh, the ideology behind the left and how they're attacking this guy. And his, you know, his motto is freedom of, of speech. Um, but in this case, I think Elon will find other partners and get around some of this uh, corporate governance nonsense and have a good shot of getting it. The flip side of that is, on a giant picture, <clears throat> the left, the elite left progressives can't afford to let this happen. So you can bet right now there's a bunch of billionaire lead leftists that do not want Elon Musk to buy Twitter and expose them for all their lies and uh, deceptions and nefarious uh, behavior that they've had. The algorithms that are going to be in that data that show how they target you, me, and every other conservative with any kind of influence is going to be mind-boggling. Um, my goodness, the president of the United States is banned from Twitter. The amendment, the First Amendment is freedom of speech. There's a reason, Jason, it's the First Amendment, <laughs> because it's important. And here we have a platform that has tremendous uh, influence on society, and you have the president of the United States that's banned. This is ludicrous. So the real fight here is not going to be in the boardroom. I think Musk will win that because of what I talked about earlier. The shareholders um, are going to attack this board of directors if they don't act in their best interest, um, which gets up to is are they going to take this to a shareholder's vote? I think they have to take it to a shareholder's vote because it's the only protection that the board of directors gets if the shareholders vote down 54 bucks a share. So that's going to be an interesting horse race. But I don't think for one minute that the elite left's going to let Elon Musk have Twitter and have, let Twitter be freedom of speech and treat everybody equal, <laughs> a new word, equal, equality, um, without a good fight. So let's talk about you a little bit there as it relates to just understanding your point of view on this. Obviously, I know you well enough and I've researched the situation what happened with you and your own board and uh, with the PR firm you hired and how they betrayed you. But explain for people how you feel that Twitter and these other social media apps were used as a weapon against you to take you out of context, to diminish and smear your reputation as it related to what went on with you and Papa, jo and Papa John's Pizza. What, three, has it been three or four years ago? It's, it's going on uh, three, it's just over three years. Um, the thing that uh, Musk has in this position that I didn't have is he has political clout. I had history, authenticity, a, a track record, uh, great financials, great performance, <clears throat> um, best place to work in Kentucky. Um, but the board of directors and Steve Ritchie hired an agency that basically tried to, you know, agitate me and get to say, get me to say something to set me up as a racist. So once they paint you in that box, it's it's very difficult to get out of it when you have the company piling on. So I had some negative PR three years ago that I don't have today that Elon Musk doesn't have to deal with. So I think he's in 
good shape with uh, corporate governance. I think he's in good shape with a 15% uh, ownership, and I think he's in really good shape with his reputation and his political clout. Uh, that's a whole different situation. But if you'd have said three years ago <clears throat> that the board of directors is going to paint the face of the brand, uh, the spokesperson, a 31% shareholder, the chairman of the board as a racist, I would have said, Jason, there's no way in heck, there's no way in heck they would do that because that's in nobody's best interest. A, it's not true. There's not, uh, you know, an inch of truth in that. Uh, B, it hurts the stock shareholders. It hurts the suppliers. It hurts the community. I mean, Papa John's ditched Louisville, so Louisville, Kentucky lost big time. The employees, all the folks in Louisville, some 500 families got laid off and got left behind. And it hurt me and it hurt my family. Usually people act in their best interest. I never in my wildest dream would know that they hired an agency that was supposed to, supposed to protect me that did the opposite, that set me up and actually destroyed me. Musk doesn't have to deal with that. Now, if we didn't have that incident with um, the race issue, with 31%, I would have kicked them out. They wouldn't have kicked me out. But I had a, 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 a PR political hurdle that at the time I simply couldn't overcome because, remember, at that time we didn't have the tape. Remember, laundry service, you know, the tape uh, indicts them. It was a, a clear setup. They left the tape running. It was a hot mic, so they told on themselves. And then all the discovery is pointed that, hey, this was a complete setup. If the public knew an agency had set the founder of a brand up, uh, no way in heck uh, would this uh, gone uh, forward with the, the the public. If this happened today, we would be able to um, debunk this and deflate this in one day. One day, Jason. But remember, I was kind of the genesis of cancel culture. You know, I was kind of the first one to go. There wasn't a playbook um, to tell you what you do when Forbes misquotes what I says takes it out of context and kicks it out of contrast. And then the media has clicks. And before you know it, you know, you've got six billion hits that are all negative on a false narrative. So they basically set up a false narrative and painted me in a bad light and took over my company. And by the way, that well, the way that they did it is actually brilliant. At the time, the company was worth two and a half billion. So if you want 51%, that's a billion to 50, okay, a billion to 50. All they had to do was hire law firms, and that's what the left does. They hire these big law firms. The majority, if not all, of the law firms that are big in this country are all leftists. They're they're all liberals. And so then they set up an investigation like they've done with Elon. They go, they find out where your pimples are, where you had a hiccup, or where your marriage wasn't perfect, or they find something wrong. Then they blow you up on that. And then before you know it, you're, you know, you're kind of getting you're getting murdered for something that at a minimum is minutia in the big picture of things, but it sticks. And right now that's, that's probably the biggest threat that they're going to do to uh, Elon Musk is they're going to attack him personally. That's what the left does when they can't stand on the facts. They can't stand on the truth. They attack you personally. They find something in your history that, you know, wasn't, uh, perfect or wasn't pristine or wasn't good enough and they paint you in the light that that's the kind of person you are and the public for some reason likes to read you know uh scoop they like the scuttlebutt john I, I go back to when this all started 
and and you know, obviously I haven't given it the level of thought that you have, but I have given this situation a lot of thought to what happened with you. And, and I really believe that one group that's kind of getting left off in the narrative around you and what happened with you with Papa John's Pizza and the smear about, you know, you saying in a private meeting uh, that, hey, look, Kentucky Colonel, uh, Colonel Sanders used the N word, blah, blah, blah. You, you didn't use it as a pejorative. But, but I think this actually started, John, when you spoke up about Colin Kaepernick and you were being a voice pushing the NFL in the proper direction. I, I don't want to use the word right because people will say I'm being political because I'm really not. You were pro providing pressure to the NFL. Hey, stand your ground. This is a league that is patriotic. Pete Rozelle and these guys in the 1960s, when they started trying to figure out how can the NFL overtake baseball as America's pastime, the brand of the NFL was very patriotic. Colin Kaepernick was pulling it a different direction. And even though you didn't criticize Colin Kaepernick, but, but, but you did like say, hey, Roger Goodell needs to clean this up and they need leadership. And so part of, part of me thinks that you providing that light bit of pressure on the NFL and Roger Goodell, who I believe is a very weak leader and is taking this league straight to hell uh, for, I don't, can't think of another word that describes what he's doing to the NFL. Uh, and, and that's what I think puts you in the crosshairs because now we look up three, four years later and the NFL has swallowed all the Black Lives, Ma Lives Matter ideology. Uh, it, it's, it's basically part of the left-wing propaganda machine. And, and I don't think they wanted someone like you uh, putting any pressure on the league to stand its ground and stand on its principles. And I, I guess it's a long-winded way of asking because what you pointed out at the beginning of your last comment was that the left is going to rally around Twitter and try to support Twitter. <clears throat> the right, conservatives, why don't we rally around people like yourself or whoever gets in trouble and provide the same level of support and, and like, hey, I know this guy. What are we doing here? This isn't right. And, and that's literally watching my affinity, loyalty to you is just because we're both Ball State alums. I didn't know you at that time, but I could clearly see like this guy's being wronged and he, did, he didn't do anything wrong. His, his little comments about the NFL weren't wrong and, and this comment in this private meeting is being com taken completely out of perspective. And so I started running towards you and, and we ended up meeting in Indianapolis and I liked you and, and started telling trying to tell Ball State, hey, let's don't run away from this guy. But how come conservatives don't rally around each other when, when we see a guy in trouble who is clearly being treated unfairly? The, uh, let me see if, if I can remember all seven questions you just asked me. But the, <laughs> the first question, um, remember, uh, Goodell is a coward and he is incompetent and he's just lucky. Um, Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, uh, Ingrid Newey with PepsiCo, 
and Dan Snyder all called me, um, several other folks, uh, about Goodell's conduct and the way he was handling this. Jones and Dan Snyder with the Redskins wanted uh, Goodell fired. This is like the November the 31st or something. It was the day before, like uh, the 1st of November, end of October. They called me and said, you need to take this guy out. You're the number one sponsor of the, the league as far as notoriety and uh, acceptance and association. Uh, everybody loves you. They love Peyton. We hate Goodell. He, Snyder says he sits on 57th Street, 57th Street all day long and drinks Chardonnay. He's a drunk. And yet we pay him $50 million a year. Snyder and Jones hate Goodell. I said, no. This is not my job to fire your commissioner. He works for you. I just sell pizzas. I have a family of small businesses that, you know, probably 35% of our spends NFL, it's down 20%. Your this behavior of not addressing the issue to the owners and players satisfaction is causing me and my franchisees a lot of problem and this has been been going on now for two seasons. So Goodell's been on thin ice with some of the, you know, the more prevalent and more outspoken owners for some time. But, Jason, I had a free shot from two owners to go after Goodell personally. I didn't go after him in a vicious, you know, venomous way. I just said, hey, grow up, be a leader and fix the problem. So my small business owners stop taking it on the chin. Your second question is, remember, Papa John's is an American icon. The Papa John's story is the American dream. Um, we have money, cash flow in 200 million a year in EBITDA. Um, everybody knows the brand. Everybody knows the story. It was done the right way, the hard way. We took everybody up with us on the way. Papa John's debunks everything the left stands for. So if you're going to put a company in the crosshairs on your first shot across the bow for cancel culture, it's going to be John Schnatter. That's going to be the first shot you take because um, of just all the things I just mentioned. <clears throat> and I don't think – I think they were going to find something. They were digging so hard. I, we've got a number up to $33 million that they spent on investigations going back 20, 25, 30 years trying to find any little person or any little smidge or any little thing that they can find to hurt me on the PR because they know it sells clicks. You know, if you go, oh, he was with this or he did that, people click on it. They don't click on it if you give $18 million to Purdue or $12 million to Ball State. That never hits the clicks. And so they were going to find some way to get rid of me because the American dream was live and well, <clears throat> not only with me, not only with my employees, not only with my suppliers, but all my franchise family was the example and exemplified the American dream. <clears throat> the third is I've never, we were partners with Charles Koch. Uh, four universities with entrepreneurship and small business. <clears throat> the left doesn't like Charles, and Charles is one of the finest human beings I've ever met. And for, as far as personal integrity, he's he's up there with anybody that, you know, I put him uh, against anybody. Um, I've always wondered why Charles didn't have some kind of PR horsepower to protect his members of AFP. <clears throat> um, if you're involved with AFP and you're donating money, to try to save this country, and that's what their goal is, to get America back, not only to America, just get us out of the, the momentum and the tailspin we're in. Um, you're putting your neck out a mile wide. 
And the left tracks if you go to those meetings. They track if you make donations. And this, this organization, AFP, spends hundreds of millions a year, but they don't have any PR uh, support or backbone in case one of the members gets attacked, you know, um, in a vicious, fake way. Um, I've already told, I've always told that organization, let, let me own the stuff I, I have to own. I'll be glad to take the hit. But when they start making things up, Jason, there should be some kind of mechanism, to your point, on somewhere on the conservative side to call these people out. Now, what happened with um, the Barstool guy and a few of these other folks lately, where their, what their comments Dave were Portnoy. much more... Um, yeah, Dave Portnoy and Business Insider tried to take him down yeah. uh, with with malicious a malicious story about sexual allegations. Yeah, go ahead. And, and he defended himself. There was himself, another, there was he, another he, one that's the number one podcast guy. Um, the Joe number Rogan. one podcast, Rogan. They tried to take him down. And what 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 those guys did was way more egregious than what I did. Um, but they stood up, and I think you can really take a playbook. Uh, out of those guys and what they did, model it that we didn't have three years ago. A is get your friends to help you out. I mean, I didn't call on you. I didn't call on Nick Smith. I didn't call on Simon Smith. I didn't call on Tolbert. Uh, I didn't call on, you know, Cosby. didn't call on Elliot. I should have called all my friends and said, hey, you know, you guys have known me for decades. This is crazy. And it is crazy what they did. There's just no truth in it. Two is you better hire a damn good PR firm. I, the PR firm I had at the time, nice people, uh, Mike Citrick. I love Mike to death. He's just not very good at what he does. I had bad legal counsel. I had a lawyer from California. You know, he's out there with Washerman and the head of the DNC. So, you know, there's they're playing footsie under the table. Uh, so you want to have a good PR firm. You want to have a good lawyer. And then you want to the part you you have to own the truth, own it. And the part they're lying about, you got to fight like hell. You can't let them do this because they will they will destroy your life with no conscience about it. And that's the problem with the left ideology. They have no regard for humanity. It's a it's a, a hypocritical, uh, full of hatred, anger, uh, dark platform at the elite left. It's it's very it's very dark. Their mindset is so beyond something that the average man and women can comprehend in this country that you can't really get your mind around it. And we don't. Listening to what you just said and what we're talking about, I, th- I wonder if people are going to, and look, Elon Musk is worth 250, 280, maybe $300 billion. Maybe he doesn't need help. But, but I think him getting a hold of Twitter could be an important change because I think one reason why people on the right stand down and go, oh, God, look what's happening to Papa John. I hope they don't come for me. And so they just kind of stay and hide is because the left owns all the the major media outlets. And so there's no place for conservatives to turn in the media to really get their side of the story out there in a big way. If somehow Twitter becomes more fair, if somehow uh, conservatives rally around Elon Musk, maybe he will run Twitter in a more fair way where it will be easier to rally around guys like yourself or others who are being unfairly smeared. Uh, And so I I, I just hope that and and maybe you would know you, you run in those circles. Is there a lot of support? 
for what Elon Musk is doing among conservative people of, of wealth? Well, here, here, Jason, you're you're a God-fearing man, and you believe in higher power. Here's what's amazing: the left controls academia. I mean, the the crap they're pumping in these kids' heads, unbelievable. Frankly, they control the pharmaceuticals, which is very dangerous. They control control the food supply, processed foods. It's not going to kill you, but it does make you sick. They control the judges. They control all three branches of government right now. They control all that, and yet we're going to win the midterms. And so at the end of the day, truth always wins. You know, the truth, light always overcomes darkness. Good always overcomes evil. So I find it amazing that they have all this force and yet no power. Now, the the other question that you asked was, um, does... The, the, the right going to, are they going to get behind Musk and, and, and help him out and get this done? If Twitter becomes just freedom of speech, and that's, that's the thing about the left ideology. If you disagree with one thing about their ideology, they attack you. Conservatives, I don't even think Musk is a conservative, but he believes in freedom of speech. That's good enough for me and you. I mean, all he's got to do is have one thing that's American. <laughs> I mean, when you're pro-freedom of speech, you are an American. And we want him, you know, part of our family, part of our camp. So I don't think with Fox News, their disastrous performance and their disastrous apologies, um, policies and uh, Twitter, I don't think the left's going to let this happen. I think the number is going to go up from here. I think this is going to be a bidding war, which gets into an arithmetic's not an opinion, but Twitter's uh, EBITDA is $1.2 billion a year. At $54 a share, that's 40, 42 EBITDA. I mean, 10 EBITDA used to be a big number. 20's really, really high. They're at 40. So this now is getting to be <clears throat> a game of egos and a game of guys that got more money you know, than they got sense. But uh, this this is going to be a real um, shootout. I don't think uh, Musk is going to fold tent, and I don't think the elite left's going to let the American people have a freedom of speech, uh, a freedom of equality platform on Twitter. So I'd stay tuned on this one. It's going to be exciting. Mm. Uh, Papa, uh, I just want to thank you for the time. Would love to have you back. Would love to have you here in Nashville uh, in studio. I'll get Richard Spanton to come in and, you know, we'll go to dinner afterwards. Uh, but it's good to see you. You're, you're looking good. Uh, I can't wait to see you again because I probably have lost 30 pounds since the last time you saw me. And, and uh, I can remember when we went to uh, the Deontay Wilder fight in Vegas and afterwards you called me up and got on me like, man, lose some weight. We want you around. And <laughs> I really appreciate those words. And that, that let me know, like, this guy really cares about me. It's not about, hey, I need a friend in the media. Uh, I, I like that boldness and that directness. And it let me know that you were a Christian and someone uh, that sincerely cared. And so I've really enjoyed our friendship. Well, I admire you. I appreciate you uh, standing up for your bravery, bravery and courage. And I noticed you did lose some weight. You look good. And I can't wait to come coming out of Nashville and have dinner with you and break bread and and uh, celebrate all the good things happening to you. So you, you look great, Jason. And God bless. Thanks for having me, man.
Thanks for coming. All right, uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Uh, Delano's got a tough act to follow. Delano Squires. It's my obligation to hate discrimination raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to roll out to D.C. and bring in the smartest man on the show, Delano Squires. Uh, Delano batting cleanup today. It's a good spot for him. You got tough acts to follow. Steve Kim and Papa John just knocked it out of the park. But if there's anyone that can uh, stand in there and uh, get a hit after uh, such great performance before him, it is Delano Squires. Delano's written a column, another great column, that kind of picks up Delano on the point in the conversation uh, we had last week, and I'm, I'm glad you did this, uh, about how the left and Democrats are basically using the LGBTQ community to replace their black voting bloc, but I'm gonna let you describe uh, or define the column. Sure. Thank you, Jason. So you're right. I picked, I picked up today on the concept that I started to talk about last week. Um, and if I had to summarize it in one phrase, it's that uh, for the left, rainbow is the new black. Um, and really what that means is that um, it's, it's not necessarily that the left and Democrats are going to abandon issues of race. It's that as we move forward, they will um, unpack issues of race through an LGBT frame. So this is one of the reasons why whenever you hear the president talk about, um, you know, transgender Americans, and, and he said this during the Trans Day of Visibility, he will almost always mention the violence perpetrated against trans um, girls and women of color, right? The left has done this with abortion too. If people have, have noticed over the years, um, they whenever they talk about a abortion restrictions, whether it's the Hyde Amendment or the restrictions um, in Texas or other states, they'll always mention that these laws are going to disproportionately impact uh, low-income black women and women of color. So really what they're trying to do is they, they are trading on the legacy of the civil rights movement, right? Um, but they don't want, they, they want the votes of black people, and particularly black Christians and particularly black Christian men but they want to cast off those values. And that's one of the reasons that the only types of, of black men the left is interested in nowadays um, are the William Barber types, the Raphael Warnock types, the ones that are completely pro-LGBT, um, completely pro-abortion. And these are the types of men who, again, can, can trade on the, uh, the cultural heritage and, and sort of the, the moral force of the black church, but who don't hold to anything close to biblical values around sex, sexuality, gender identity, marriage, or family. So uh, to me, I think it's one of these things where the ground has been shifting for a long time. I argued in the piece that BLM has served as the perfect bridge for this change. Not only did they say that their that queerness is at the forefront of their movement, and they said this in 2015, 
So anybody who had been paying attention since that time would have known that this is the case. But unfortunately, most of the people in, in big media um, and big tech don't pay attention. So they said this in 2015. Um, and what they ended up doing is, you know, pushing the issues of race um, down the, the priority scale and elevating the issues of, you know, sex, gender, and sexuality. And that's why if you look at BLM's 13 original principles, not a single one used the terms police, violence, boy, or man. Now, well, excuse me, uh, police brutality, boy, or man. They use violence, but that was in their trans-affirming principle, and they were talking about trans-antagonistic violence towards transgender women. So um, this play has been clear for a long time. The only question is whether black voters will, will wake up to it and realize that they have been put in the closet. Because, Jason, you and I both know if a black minister gets crossways, let's say a, a white gay couple comes to his church and says, we want to get married here. And, and the minister says no, and he preaches, you know, sort of biblical, biblical sexual ethics, and this becomes a national story. You and I know exactly where the Democratic Party is going to come down, and we know whose side they're going to take in that in that conflict. And that that minister may still think, you know, well, I'm a loyal Democratic voter, but that's because he hasn't realized how much the cultural and political winds have shifted, and he should realize, as I said, the Democratic Party wants his vote, but they hate his values. You know, when I read pieces like yours and just I study what's going on in the culture, I, I, I think that racial idolatry is so pervasive in the black church, mm. that's why we haven't snapped out of this because it is so obvious what's going on but again, I think as black people, we have been trained, brainwashed, and or have bought into a mentality of anything, race trumps anything, that God is looking down at the world and saying, you know, if, if you're not treating black people right, uh, that's the worst sin on the planet. And it's like, mm. we have this arrogance that we determine God's level of happiness with humanity. Uh, and again, it's just because if you take the racial blinders off and just look at the two parties, and you can just clearly see like one of them is going head first as fast as they can into the LGBTQ deal, and that's at the foundation of their platform. And, and the other group, may not play the music we like at parties. Maybe they don't serve <laughs> Hennessy at their parties. Maybe they don't smoke weed at their parties. Uh, they don't know who, they don't particularly like Snoop Dogg or whatever. Uh, but they're not, you know, and, and look, again, but what we look and see is, well, oh, they're, they're, they're racist because they don't play our music. They don't, uh, you know, maybe they, they call us out of our name or whatever, and, and we say, well, they're not Christians, even though they claim to be, because if mm. you're a Christian, you must love us. And, and what if, or, or, I, I just, I can't, I've had so many different racial feelings 
inappropriate racial feelings in my own mind and spewed out of my own mouth, that it's hard for me to judge other people for their failings, flaws, inappropriate thoughts. And so I, I just am more attracted to a policy or a belief system, but I, I've messed the question up, uh, Delano, <laughs> but I, I, en I enjoyed your column because I think it coincides with, uh, did, have you seen this Libs of TikTok story in the Washington yes. Post? Mm -hmm. And Libs of TikTok, for those of you that don't know, very popular Twitter feed that basically just retweets and or shares far left LGBTQIA plus people's TikTok videos and other social media videos that espouse all their beliefs. And they just let these guys kind of hang themselves about what they want to do in schools, what they want to teach kids. And, you know, lives a TikTok is just holding up a mirror and it's under an incredible attack. Twitter has deplatformed it a couple of different times, suspended it, and now there's a hit piece on the woman that runs the site in the Washington Post. And, and, and to me, when I read the story, they're trying to smear the woman that runs the account, they're trying to smear conservatives and uh, politically right people, but I read the story and, and go, this is proof that the most important thing to the left is your gender and sexual identity and protecting and promoting the values of the LGBT movement. Uh, absolutely, Jason. And I read the story um, as well. The, the author, Taylor Lorenz, came from the New York Times, where she, I think, also covered uh, tech stories. I mean, Having been in, in, in this space, the public commentary and, you know, sort of public intellectual space for a couple of months, the first one of the first things that struck me is I just it was is a mediocre write up. Right. I, I would expect better from an eighth grade student and nothing about it was particularly interesting because the entire purpose of the story was to unmask the woman behind the the uh, the account um, Taylor Lorenz didn't even take the time to to say okay these are some of the things that libs the 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 people on libs of TikTok end up saying about themselves right it was all about the person who ran it and and basically it was a combination every every paragraph was some combination of here's a site that that right wing right wing media likes they post a lot of videos from uh, LGBT people on TikTok who talk about how they want to talk to your kids, you know, about gender identity and, and sexuality. Um, that's outrageous. That that smears people, I guess, using their own words is a smear. Um, it's framed improperly. This person was at uh, the events of January 6th. She's a bad person. So I'm going to to uh, reveal her identity. And even there was one part where it Taylor Lorenz talks about, um, she mentions Glenn Greenwald, the, the journalist, an actual journalist, and she says something to the effect of, you know, he talked about the, the house that, um, that, that was visited, right? The, it, again, it's the passive voice. And th this is what these people do. It's always, it was always passive aggressiveness. 
They are the consummate felines. It's, it's the passive voice, it's passive aggressiveness. Now Taylor Lorenz is the same person who a couple weeks ago was crying on TV claiming that she's she's bullied by, by mean conservatives and Tucker Carlson and, and how bullying and online harassment is used to silence people from marginalized communities, quote unquote, especially women and women and people of color. But she turns around and does the same thing to this person who has remained anonymous for a particular reason. And, and what it reminded me of is that people like Taylor Lorenz, and, and it's, it's not just her, it's anybody who, who leads by saying that they are part of an oppressed and marginalized community. They don't actually want equality. What they want is cultural protectionism. They are much like, let's say, certain uh, black folks in, in, in public life want the ability to say white people are mediocre, white people are privileged, to, to think of your typical root writer. Well, white people are, are privileged, they do this, they do that, they don't know anything, um, they smell like dogs when they get wet and rained, all, all of that nasty racial stuff. And then as soon as a white person says, well, I'm not sure that uh, some of the worst elements of hip hop music uh, don't contribute to uh, the degradation of American culture, then it's racism, 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 racism. So if these people actually wanted equality, they would stand up like, like men and women and allow their ideas to fight it out in the marketplace of ideas. But that what Taylor Lorenz wants to be able to do is to point the online harassment and bullying gun as long as she's the person aiming it and she gets to call the target. So I'm not surprised by it at all. I actually think it's gonna backfire. I think Libs of TikTok is gonna get a lot more popular and I hope the woman behind it becomes a prominent uh, a public personality and that she goes on to, to talk about why she started the account and the impact that it's having. But yeah, I, I saw the piece and, and have, came away completely unim, unimpressed. Well, I wanna, what really, you pointed out a couple of things I wanna piggyback off of. The mentioning of Glenn Greenwald in this story, it just blew my mind. Glenn Greenwald is gay and married to a man. Mm -hmm. and has found the libs of TikTok account useful and mm -hmm. uh, good information that's worthy of being shared. Uh, Glenn Greenwald is no right wing whatever. Glenn Greenwald is a truthful journalist. He actually puts the truth and doing accurate journalism ahead of whatever his personal agenda or personal thoughts might be have nothing but respect for Glenn Greenwald. They, they pictured Joe Rogan, I guess, as one of these right-wing people that love libs of TikTok, and they basically blamed him for the popularity of libs of TikTok. Joe Rogan wants Michelle Obama to be the next president. <laughs> this is not some right-wing, but, but so they're, they're, they're just narrowing Mm -hmm. Their group in, in terms of and just casting out anybody that's not on board with any and everything. And, and so that takes me back to your piece again. It's just like they're kicking Glenn Greenwald out of the group. He's gay, married to a man. They're kicking Joe Rogan out of the group. He wants Michelle Obama to be president. When are black people, particularly those with any type of biblical values, going to realize 
you, you've been kicked out of this group a long time ago. You just, mm. their policies, their initiatives have not served you. Those of you with a biblical worldview, the democratic policies haven't served you for 60 years. You and your worldview were kicked out 60 years ago. When are we going to wake up? Uh, it's a question I ask myself every morning, Jason. Whenever I put pen to paper, if when I, when I write a piece about the importance of family and I argue that uh, black people, and particularly black men, should fight for the strength and integrity and the survival of the black family, I, I already know who's going to criticize me. All right? It's the people who... who they think they're smart. They say, oh, well, well, give me a definition of the nuclear family that doesn't rely on on uh, white supremacist ideals. And I said, what are you talking about? I, my definition of a nuclear family comes from Genesis 2.24, where, where God gives the picture of, of a man and woman leaving their parents and cleaving to one another. And and in Psalms 127, 3 through 5, where it says that that children are a heritage from the Lord and that the, the man who has many arrows in his quiver is blessed. That's that's where I get it from. I don't know what I don't know where these people get it from. I didn't get it from from Europeans. I got it from the scripture. So it's one of these things where, um, as you said, a, a lot of us have racial blinders on um, and we can't see or hear anything but race. And, and it's one of these things where the Democrats are purely an identity party. So that's why they 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 look for more and more identities and and even the language that they use there was a time where we didn't talk about the lgbtq community we talked about the gay rights movement right so it was uh gay and lesbian people who who didn't want their private behavior to be criminalized and then it moved to they wanted their public sexual behavior to be accommodated so they want to be able to have a pride parade without the police coming and knocking some heads together now it's we want our public sexual and gender identities to be unquestioningly celebrated and affirmed by every person and organ of culture through all of our laws, through all of our policies and our social custom. And anybody who refuses to do that is a hateful bigot. So in, in doing that, they, they added, they went from L and G, they added B, Right. Which is really just either L or, or, or G. Most Jason, most women that me, me and, you know, if a guy says that he's been with a man before, he's he's out. It's like it's like uh, football. Once the ball crosses the plane, it's a touchdown. That's a score for the other team. So so they, they added. And once they hit the T and the Q, transgender and queer. Now the category goes from, you know, um, sexual preference and behavior to personal identity. Now they got a cat up and a new identity group that they can lock on to. Because a lot of, you know, old gays and lesbians, they don't even identify with LGBT. They they think about themselves like, okay, I'm gay. I'm 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 homosexual. I'm attracted to the same sex. But now you have people who will talk about being queer. Um, Jason, there's a journalist, he he was over in in um, the Ukraine. A guy he used to be with the Rook named Jermaine Terrell Starr, I think is his name. And he was over reporting, black guy. He was over reporting in Ukraine. You know, he had on the, the Kevlar vest and the, and, the, and the helmet. And then one day he sent a tweet that said, oh, I, I now identify as queer. And then the next tweet he said, well, I'm, I'm attracted to all different types of women, 
but no men, but I'm queer. And people start to say, well, if you're not attracted to men, then how are you queer? Now, the thing is, my guess is that when he said all types of women, he was including trans women who are men. But to him, he thinks that going out with a guy that has, that has a penis that dresses like a woman makes him still straight. But I only say that to say queer is such a, a broad um, category because queerness is really, at least the way they use it, is not just about sexual identity. It's about subverting established norms. So when I write in my piece that America has been thoroughly queered, I'm saying that the Democratic Party is the party that criticizes men like whether Barack Obama or Ron DeSantis, who uphold the value of the nuclear family, marriage, and fatherhood. And the Democratic Party is also the party that defends drag queen story hour and ster sterilizing and mutilating children in the name of gender affirming care. So that, that, that's where we are right now. The question is whether or not black voters will realize and recognize that, and particularly whether black men will realize, as you said, we have been put outside of the house and have been out there for a very, very long time. But for whatever reason, we keep thinking that, you know, the Democrats are our friends. But as I said, if any of us ever get crossways with, with the wrong people in the LGBTQIA plus movement, we're going to realize who's on our side real quick. Delano, got to let you go. Thank you so much. Great job. As always, go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit the notifications. Hit subscribe. Uncle Jimmy and our approval rating on Colin Kaepernick. And, and I think Jimmy has a uh, interview he wants to talk to me about that he, he got a sit down interview with Will Smith. Next. exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red the white and the blue but remember the mind is the key the fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life we the fearless army are one nation under God indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. All right, welcome back. Man, Jim, we've had an awesome show. Uh, 
I thought Steve Kim was great. I love the discussion on Colin Kaepernick. Steve Kim, all right, man. You give Steve Tim too much credit. He all right. Go ahead. Keep going, man. Papa John was off the chain. Pop, Papa John surprised me. Now, if I may, I, I got to, not only did Papa John surprise me, you surprised me. Because you, you I, I've always heard you say, oh, that's my alum. Oh, I know John. Okay, I apologize. You, you, I didn't realize you were so big time. In Kansas City, you was friends with Ollie Gates. Gates Barbecue, yeah. Now you hanging out with the creator of Papa John's. Yes. Ah, damn, when we going to get Ronald McDonald up here in the house, man? <laughs> Ronald McDonald does owe me. I asked it on stop. You, you don't know Carl Jewett? <laughs> you can't get some of the models up in here or something? <laughs> that would be good. But, you know, and Delano obviously did a great job. But, uh, Jim, you've cooked up something special. Are you trying to top everybody? Getting Will Smith on the show and getting a sit-down interview with Will Smith? It's called earn your keep. It's called, you know, what are you bringing to the table? And I mean, and this was my little donation to the, you know, to the show. I came bearing gifts. That's what it was. That's all. Let's, let's, so you got a sit-down interview, the first exclusive interview with Will Smith. Let's take a look. Will, let's get right to it. Do you regret your actions at the Oscars? I'm not a man prone to regrets, you know. Why'd you do it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's always uh, an aspect of us that when we feel unloved, you know, in any capacity, in any relationship, when we feel unloved, uh, when we feel mistreated, when we feel uh, somehow disrespected, um, it's a natural reaction to want revenge. And I think that's what happens with most people, specifically in our, in our most vulnerable stages when we're children, and we haven't done anything to deserve that kind of treatment. Um, it's really hard for the ego to not click into revenge. Is it safe to say that you were a Lion King? On the prowl the night of the Oscars, per se. Easy, easy, Tiger. Your performance at the Oscars was a far cry from your days of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Where'd you learn all of this vicious behavior from, Will? I think that's a, that um, is a, a part of my DNA, you know? Really? Um, part of it from difficult aspects of my childhood. You know, I, I grew up with violence in my home, you know, so um, I developed, you know, a really acute emotional sense, you know, out of defense. You know, I just needed to make sure that my father was okay. I needed to make sure things were going well. And I just became really hypersensitive. But that Will Smith is not the nice guy that uh, America's come to love, is it? We can win, or I can be nice. Hmm. Pick one. It was military-minded. Scorched earth. Now, Will, as you know, people say that this whole thing was Jada's idea. Just what exactly did Jada say to you prior to you walking up on stage and confronting Chris? You're going to be the hammer of justice. <laughs> he was military-minded. Okay. Right. You achieved the mission. And there's two possibilities. When I give you a mission, there's two possibilities. One, 
you complete the mission, or two, you're dead. Now, weren't you a little extreme? And you can learn something from the extremes also, right? Yeah. And when you when you look at um, the athletes, right? There's a certain extreme mindset. So you and Jada like that mindset? We worship that mindset. When did you first realize that you were gonna have a problem with Jada and other men? Just what exactly was she doing? Uh, bringing homeless people into our house when we were little and washing them in our bathtub. I thought that was the nastiest thing. I was like, ah! But she would be in the bathroom with her hands washing homeless people. Now, you've got to tell me, how did you come to peace with her bathing other men? As I grew older, I just, I just saw how dedicated and devoted she was to living her life in service. We've heard, but could you elaborate on what Denzel Washington said to you after you slapped Chris Rock? He said, hey man, listen, listen, listen. The way you make a woman love you, to make a woman love you, you, you take out to dinner, you know, and then as you're going out to place, you just knock somebody out. Cause a woman gotta know you could defend her. You just <laughs> knock somebody out. And if you knock, if you knock, I mean, it could be a stranger, but you just, you just knock somebody out and she see your strength and that's how she'll feel confident. And it, it changes everything. It changes your sexual life. It just changed everything about it. But you, you gotta get them good and just knock somebody out. Now that surprises me. What did he say to you about you cursing it, Chris? Um, uh, dear Willard, Truly intelligent people do not have to use words like this to express themselves. Uh, God has given you the gift of words. Shut the front door. Be sure to use those words to uplift people. <laughs> Jim, I got to admit, uh, that's some of your best work. Ah, it was an honor, man. To, to be able to, what, what was Will like in person? Uh, he, he, he was a little aloof, he was a little standoffish, but uh, it was, it, it, it was, he's a big fan of yours. Is uh, that right? Yes, he, he's a big fan of yours. He, uh, he, he was at, he, he often wondered, you know, how's Jay doing? How's he doing? How's he coming along with his weight? A lot of, he's, he's a big fan of yours. Mm. Uh, I, I was, I was very. Did you get to lay eyes on Jada at all? G uh, G I yes, I did. G.I. Jada. Yes, I did. She was um, <laughs> out back in the back in the in the playhouse playing with uh, Jaden's friends. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? August? <laughs> yeah, yeah, August. <laughs> play, you know, play, play, you know he, he had a Boy Scout meeting. I can go get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, actually, you, you know, kids nowadays don't, we call it hide and go get it. Yeah. Kids nowadays call it hide and go freak. Oh. Seriously, it's not even a joke. I cracked a joke with my with my son. I'm like, hey man, you play hide and go get it. Like, oh daddy, you mean hide and go freak? <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> it's really not, and I shouldn't be laughing. I had to be deprogrammed from that. <laughs> playing that game? Yes, because 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 you was cheating, knowing who you want. No, no, because again, literally, I was I was a bad kid, Jim. I was a bad kid. And when we moved out to the little working class, I, I, I honestly didn't know what Hango Seek was because all we played in my old neighborhood was Hango Get It. 
And so, like, they were, I, well, I ain't gonna see. I ain't gonna get it. <laughs> and I had to be deprogrammed. So what happened when you? What happened when you played hide and go what? get it, and you caught the ugly girl? <laughs> I'll just. Took some counseling, Jim. <laughs> just, I went through some therapy to get me on the right track. Uh, so you know that's the reason I like big girls. But go ahead. <laughs> Come on, let's go, man. Yeah, we, we, this, I'm sorry. We not I'm sorry. Be laughing about this. Oh, terrible thoughts. Uh, Flashbacks, huh? Yeah, d- definitely. Uh, let's get to our approval rating on Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> let's go, buddy. Uh, before before we get to job performance, I'm just going to ask you this: Do you think he wants to play football? Does he want to play in the NFL? Can I just answer honestly? Yeah. Hell no. He don't want to play football. As you'll find out in this first answer of job performance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, look, I'm giving him credit. This is like my cousin he used to sit on the couch at home. I hope he, Kevin ain't watching, but when we were kids, he's a little older than mine, but he, he'd be, looking at the one that I made no jobs nowhere. Ain't no jobs. He'd be looking, remember the one ads, Mm -hmm. the newspaper, whatever. And so what I'm giving Cap credit for, he's gotten up off his feet, and he's at least looking for a job. He had been sitting on the couch. Ain't no jobs nowhere. Ain't nobody in the NFL. (coughs) Give me a job, mama. Uh, you, you know what that joke is. The joke uh, is that that, that, that that you know we used to sit around here smoking weed, talking about look looking at the job. Damn, baby, the job situation is hard. <laughs> I said, you know, we'd be sitting around like we somebody knock on the door. Who is it? Who is it? Job. Like <laughs> <laughs> job is gonna come up and knock on the door. Yeah. Come on, man. So I'm giving him a two in job performance. I'm giving him a zero, simply because what you said. No, he don't want a job in the NFL. Nessie, Nettie, she want him to have a job in the NFL. Mm. That's the reason. You see what I'm saying? That's he. I don't really want. He don't want to go to work. Net, Nettie telling him he got to get his butt back out and go to work. I've moved up in character as well, two points, because, again, he's out pursuing a job. He, baby steps. You got to walk before you can run. So you're a lot nicer. Walk before you can walk. So I've given him a three in character. I give him a zero in character. Because you remember, I was kind of a fan of Cap. I mean, yeah, this I is out of... You were a Capricorn American. I was a Capricorn American. I was out front. You still had them T-shirts? I definitely do. They look tight now, but I still got them. <laughs> but no, I man, this is out of his character completely. Okay? Come on, man. Now, did this man not say in the Netflix... Yeah. Uh, uh, thing, did he not say that the NFL slavery. was a plantation in yeah. slavery? So now he's mad because he want to be a slave back out on the plantation again? Or did he say, you know what? I'll even be a backup slave. <laughs> Come on, man. No, 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 no. I give you no respect for that, man. Uh, I've moved up in authenticity a slight bit. Just again, he he's, keeps saying he wants a job. Now he's taking affirming steps. Uh, when I see him at a USFL tryout, his number will skyrocket, but I, I went up a few points. It gave him a four in authenticity. Actually, you and I, are, we just flipped the two around because I actually gave him a 25 because this is probably one, one time that Cap has shown me that he is really embracing his ethnic roots. In other words, he's really embracing his black side. In other words, now he's at a point that he's like, 
Hell, I'll take a job wherever the hell I can get it at now. You know, so, yeah, come on over here, Cap. That's how we feel. Come on. 7-Eleven, <laughs> wherever. Hey, if we live long enough, trust me, he'll be down to, I'll take a job at 7-Eleven. Uh, <laughs> you cannot have any smoothie over there, please. Are you going to read that? Come on, man. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing at what Jim just did. Don't get me in trouble for that. That, that was Jim that cracked that joke. I was laughing at the fact that people would see me laughing and think, that it, I, it, stop it, I, I'm trying to not be politically correct. Uh, it factor, uh, I dropped him a slight point from a 20 down to a 19, just because I don't think his people want to see him out looking for a job, so it probably hurt his it factor a little bit, but a 19, it factor. Jason, I give him a zero. He needs to knock it off, because it ain't going to happen, and his ass ain't going to get back in the NFL, okay? All right. Straight up. He says he wants to get back into the league and he wants to show his worth and prove his value to another team, right? Well, you know what that's called, Jason? It's called being a rookie, okay? You're 37 years old. You're not a rookie. It's not going to happen. Get the hell out of here, man. He's 34, but I hear you got him at a zero. I got him at a 28, a dumpster fire. You have him at a 25. Not far off. Not far off at all. Uh, Jim, I got to say, a lot of good stuff on the show today, but I don't know if anything is going to top the interview of Will Smith. Uh, I don't know. You, you do hear Tamara playing, right? I do, but I expect you to be getting calls from some news, some national news networks. Well, actually, hopefully, honestly, I might be getting an interview with Jada on the uh, red table. Oh, really? Yeah, just, just so you know, it might be happening. She might be putting me on the casting couch, but I'll... <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> All right, that's tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Looking like it's my time